Welcome everybody to the Seattle Sports Union Podcast. My name is Abraham Dewey-Speck. Once again with Brian, the Soul Man, Solak. And on the boards, we have Matt, Matthew, that damn dirty duck page. And we have a special guest today, a famous author, a famous writer for various newspapers, one Dave Bowling. How's it going, Dave? Well, um, actually, I've got a little dose of COVID-19. I put it off for couple of years and I thought it would liven up my day. So uh, <laughs> just for the experience, picked it up at the, uh, at the world track championships down in Eugene last uh, Wednesday. And uh, as a good husband, I shared it with my wife. So <laughs> there have we're been both uh, feeling a little cruddy and been vaxxed and, and boosted and, and careful and all that, but this is a pretty devious thing. And uh, for a couple of days, feeling really, really awful, but now kind of on the mend, I think, but it's a real serious thing. Take it yes, seriously. I am sorry to hear that, Dave. I know that nothing good comes out of Eugene. Uh, one, Matthew <laughs> Page, oh, Page on the show. is Oh, the track meet. Oh my God, the track meet was spectacular to have the world come to the Pacific Northwest and, and, Track is like nothing else. When you go to the stadium, the athletes themselves may be standing in a hot dog line with you after they compete. You know, you, you, there, there's no other sport where you have the access one-on-one, face-to-face, just casually with, with world's great athletes. And, and, and that makes it a, a really cool thing. And they were all there, and it was very exciting. Love track and field. That's fantastic. I think I read yeah. the other day where a, a Swedish guy set the record for pole vaulting. Mondo Duplantis. Ah, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, great. <laughs> That's a great name, by the way. <laughs> His name's Armando. Oh, okay. Armando. But he fits it. I mean, he's he's like, uh, you know, if they were casting a movie for a, for a young athletic guy, he's, he is it. And he, he jumps for Sweden. He's actually American. His father's American was a pole vaulter. And his mother was from Sweden. And then, of course... Uh, he, he figured out where he could get the most money to compete for, and, and he jumps for Sweden. Now, do yourself a favor, sports fans, even if you don't care for track, go to YouTube, watch some videos of Mondo Duplantis pole vault. It is glorious. Nice. Hard to believe what the human body is capable of, and that, that he's an example of that. Outstanding. We're, we're uh, Sorry, you, go sorry ahead. before you go, I just, let's just stay on track for a second. Yeah. Um, because I, when we talk about this, it makes me, it reminds me of the early 90s, Dave, where there was this whole, uh, and your name is Dave, there was a Dan versus Dave uh, whole, uh, I forgot their names already. Um, Dan O'Brien and Dave Johnson. That's thank, right. Thank you. Thank I you. Covered Dan, I covered Dan for years and years at the Spokesman Review. He was at the University of Idaho. Idaho. His coaches were from Washington State and Idaho. Uh, One time at a U.S. Championships in Sacramento, it was so hot, they held all the the events at night or in the evening at night. I was finishing up late. I was on deadline. I knew Dan well enough. Uh, He finished up the 1500 meters. He won the American Championship, going to the Olympics, and he just finishes up and these guys are dead 10 events in 90 degree weather. It was just something crazy. And, uh, so Dan came over to talk to his coaches. I was right there Rick Sloan from WSU. And I said, Rick, can I get him for just a minute? I'm on the deadline. I need, I, I'm here to cover Dan. I can't do it without quotes. And he said, no, no, he's got to warm down. I said, well, what's that? He said, oh, he'll jog a 
he'll jog a couple of, of quarters. I said, can I go with him? And he said, sure. So I hopped the fence, jumped on the track and ran around talking to Dan with my microphone in his face <laughs> and, and was the only guy to end up with, with quotes from Dan. And, uh, and, and uh, actually one time I ended up in a situation where I played golf with Dan and he's, he's really good. And I got lucky that day and I beat him by a stroke. And, uh, and yeah, I, I said, well, Dan, this is obviously the only event I could beat you in. And his coach says, uh, don't be so sure of that what can you run the 1500 in, you know, needling Dan. <laughs> yes. Dan O'Brien. What, uh, you know, and that's, that's one of the things about sports people who really love them. You can, you can watch athletes who can do things that nobody else can do. You like, it's, it's like watching Julio Rodriguez now, you know, you you're seeing people, any of the guys that have come through Seattle, the great athletes, to be able to see how they do it. Dan O'Brien, Dan O'Brien was one of those. And he, he was, he was gifted, he was gifted beyond belief, and he had a great story behind him. And 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 then the tragedy, you know, if you want to call it that, of this big buildup that they had uh, with him and, and and how the endorsement kind of overpowered everything that he did. And then it got, got in his head, frankly, all he had to do was clear like eight feet in the pole vault and he would have gone on. He ended up being a, a, a an Olympic champ, a world champ. And, and now he's a coach and commentator. And it, it's one of the cool, one of the cool stories. I feel like he also meddled in a, in an event in the Olympics. Uh, not, not, other, not other than the decathlon. He probably could have, he was about a 25 foot long jumper, 26 foot long jumper and, and a really fine 110 meter hurdler too. Cool. Hey, Brian, just to, just to throw things around. I'm going to flip the script literally as you're looking at the outline because Dave mentioned Julio Rodriguez. So we're going to go backwards on this show as you see it on the script. And okay. I, want to ask, I want to ask you, Dave, um, there's a lot of excitement about this year's Mariners team. Uh, I have a question for you. How much yeah. of that do you think is Julio Rodriguez? Like if you had your pie chart of, of excitement, because it's been a long time. I think, I think it's enormous. And it's been the excitement aside from because they haven't been competitive all year. And, and those of us in 95 who were watching that uh, remember how that came. That was because of, it was so competitive. They'd had junior, had big years, you know, and, and Randy and, and all those things were building. It, 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 it really didn't get interesting, compelling for everybody until they were competitive. You know, yes, you could go to watch Junior and he might do something on any night that nobody's ever done and that you would never forget. And, and that was the reason a lot of people went to the ballpark. However, you, I, don't, I remember being in the kingdom. I think Randy started and it, and it was into September and it was on a Monday night. And I think the attendance was like 12,000 in, in September of that year. I mean, so that tells you how things really took hold once yeah. they were seriously competitive. And I think that's what, that's what Julio needs. He's got the magic. He's got the spark. He's got the whole package. I think he can do anything. He seems like a great kid. You know, how do you not compare him to, to Griffey? Of, of course you do. They're different. 
but it's that sort of uh, unquantifiable spark and sparkle and bit of magic that this kid has that very few athletes have. And I think he's got it. And I hope he can stay healthy, all those things. And if they do, then have the wisdom to, to, to ride that, build around him, spend some money on, on the, the parts they need, because this could be a generational talent. And you, and you better cash in when you, when you can. Does, does it make a difference, Dave, that he is a homegrown talent rather than a free agent? I kind of think so. It, I don't know. He can, he, he can elevate as far as, you know, that, that won't matter. It's, it won't hold him back. I think, I think it is. I think that is special. There's almost a, a, a purity to it. Uh, you know, look, look, you know, Griffey, and then you look at, uh, um, at when A Rod came up. I remember, I really liked A Rod when he came up. He was he was a young kid. As a kid, he was very respectful and uh, uh, great to talk to. You know, yes, Mister So and So, and well, I'm going to do my best. And you know, it's amazing the, the the raw talent he had. With just you know, you'd have to be an idiot not to see it. But he also seemed like a nice kid who was also pretty naive. And I, I think as time went on, I remembered that kid. And, and I think a lot of the columnists in the market were getting after him about, you know, how he, some of his posturing and, and, and attitude, et cetera, as he matured and, and became a bigger star. Um, and, and I probably cut him more slack because I remembered the kid that he was and, and that he did change and he obviously changed. That's not an indictment. That's going to happen when you're when your life changes that dramatically. You're not going to stay a, a, a naive, simple kid. But that's also a part of the thing that fans can watch. Watching somebody grow uh, is really part of it. I think I think you maybe touched on it. Having having somebody somebody homegrown. You know, Russell Wilson being a third round draft pick. I think a lot of people love that when he came in and you know and he just had this audacity about him. You know, he, an inner belief that I think fired up everybody on the team. It was, oh man, this kid can really play. It was obvious from the first day he went out to practice, he was throwing balls. The other guys were not throwing. Matt Flynn was not throwing those kind of balls. Tavares Jackson was not throwing those kind of balls. <laughs> and, and, and then all of a sudden, everybody on the team gets a little bit of, of belief in him. You know what? Let's everybody raise our game a little bit. And that's how Marshawn Lynch was, too. He brought a toughness. I think it was like the second game he was there when he was playing against the Bears. And he had a great game in Chicago where he, he made one run that gained two yards. It was one of the best runs I'd ever seen in my life. He, like, dodged and ran over five people and got plus two out of it. And, right. and all the linemen then said, She's, we better hold our blowicks. We better, we better be better about this. And how one supremely competitive individual can elevate the expectations for for play across the whole roster. And I think that's that's what the Mariners are seeing. That's awesome. Um, over, over the years, did you ever establish a relationship like with one of the Mariners or one of the coaches? We, we've talked to a few sports writers and. There's one that had a great, great relationship with Edgar Martinez. There's another one that had a great relationship with Griffey. How about you? Did you have any? You know what? I'll, t I'll tell I'll tell you the truth and I'll cop to it right off. Okay. Um, 
you know, I covered Mariners for back from, you know, 96, 95, 96 till I was done. As a kid, I was a football player, basketball player, and a track athlete. And I didn't play baseball. And, and the fact is, I didn't know as much about the game as, as guys who beat guys. Baseball beat guys are incredible. They are just insane how much they know about it. We had a guy named Larry LaRue who was our, our beat guy yeah. some, some years ago. And he was, he was one of the great deadline writers, uh, a great feature writer. And man, could he write a game story. And he had a way of talking to players and they would tell him anything. And uh, I, th- I think Bob Finnegan, maybe Larry Stone, one of them said, it's like he's their preacher. They, they come in, they're his minister, their minister, their priest. They, they come and tell him everything. They confess to him. <laughs> and, and so I always enjoyed working with him. But I piggybacked off their knowledge. And as a columnist, uh, you're writing about the players more than the games and the personalities and their the story behind the player. Uh, and so I, I, I really wasn't, I, I'd go to spring training and love doing that, but uh, I, I, I wasn't a daily kind of guy and I didn't live, eat and sleep baseball. And, and, and so I think they probably sensed that. I, I, I don't know, maybe, but uh, I, I love working with Lou. I, 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 I thought he was very, very colorful and he, I don't know if everybody knows what a great baseball historian he was. He was mm-hmm. he he was a walking archivist of great baseball stories. And and the times when you could get before game and stand behind the batting cage when everybody was doing batting practice and he was feeling relaxed and loose and telling stories. Uh, that's one. That's one I really love. And I really did like uh, Jay Buhner. Every, every team's got somebody who you know yeah. you can talk to, and you feel they, they're comfortable with the media. Maybe they don't go on the record. Maybe they do, whatever. But but Buhner was one of those who was so such an admirable competitor, and and a real character, and uh, sometimes off color, sometimes <laughs> you, you, you couldn't tell a real a real baseball guy at his heart. Nice. And I was never close to him because I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't on the road with the, with the baseball team. But I thought I thought Buhner was really a, a guy. And, I, and it seems like as time goes on, um, he's been a little bit forgotten. I think yeah. there's been new generations of Mariners fans who, who really don't understand how much Buhner was loved by this community. Because, I mean, there are times when he, when there's a fast dropping liner out in right field and he just sprints and dives for it and and you know either makes the catch or breaks a bone or something and i I remember one time he ripped his belt the belt skidding against the kingdom turf it it tore the belt right off him um i I think things like that where you know people really love the guy and and it's it's a little bit sad to me i don't know i don't know why it is and he, he doesn't come out. He doesn't get out much, I guess. I, I don't know. He's probably enjoying retirement. I always found him a real character. Nice. So uh, what, do think, I, what do you think about these last 21 years, though? I mean, yeah. what the, what, <laughs> well, one, thing, one thing I think about is like maybe 
21 years of sucking his way. <laughs> the kids don't, the kids these days don't think about, you know, what? Players from the 90s. yeah, yeah. And who, who would you blame? And this, this is part of, this is part of what being a columnist was for 40 years. You, you have to find somebody to point the finger at and, you know, who blew the game, who made the bad decision, who made the bad trade, who isn't improving the team. And you know what, after some years, that gets a little cumbersome, you know, and, and, and if there's one thing in my retirement or semi-retirement that I have enjoyed and has made me a better person is that I am out of the daily judgment game. <laughs> You know, I don't have to look at something and decide who's right, who's wrong, who needs to be scolded, who needs to be spanked. Uh, <laughs> I really don't think about that much anymore. And you would be amazed at how that has has uh, um, been overlaid on my normal existence and personality. I find that, you know, if I'm stopped at a light and somebody in front of me doesn't go the second that it turns green, I'm not jumping on the horn and calling uh, an idiot. Uh, somebody else can be the sheriff for a while. There you go. So you know it's uh, it's 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 been good for me. But that was something that you do, and you spend a lot of time. And the mirrors were a lot of our focus. And every time they bring somebody else in, there'd be you know this is what we're going to do, and we're going to do the money and all that. Yeah, and I assume it great. stops. Be, I, it stops being fun writing those articles. Sure, you get no payback. Yeah, and you know there's the Cubs fans and the Red Sox fans and all those people who justifiably have said hey you know we've, we're we're due you know well I don't, I don't think there is such a thing i don't think there's karma i think you've got to you've got to earn it you've got to find the way around it and uh you know you know you love fans fans uh thrive on nostalgia team has got to give it to you it's got to give you something to look back on that you can yeah. you can really love and it's and it's and it's been hard it was hard it's hard for mariners fans and i give them I give them credit, but I can also understand why people don't go to the park or haven't gone to the park and they get suspicious when they make a little run and, oh my God, they're going to be in it this year. This is the year. You know what? Those people who are out there with their scorecards, I applaud them. Way to, way to go. You've got something. You are better as fans than the Mariners have been as a baseball team. Well, very good point. Uh, I, I got one last question for you. I, I went to the Hall of Fame when it, years ago and Edgar got inducted and I met Lou Pinella and we were talking long story short he's like you know what I almost got in the hall of fame I came one vote short but you know this weekend's all about Edgar and Will what are your are you were talking about Lou earlier do you think they'll ever vote him in the hall of fame as a manager I mean I think he's one of the greater greatest managers of all time yeah I don't you know the baseball writers and and the hall of fame voters they're a different bunch mm-hmm and there's, there's a segment to her old school. There's a segment that's hardcore old school. There's a segment that's, that may be petrified and ossified and have to be wheeled into the room. I don't know. There really is. It, it's really a different, it's really a different bunch. I don't, I don't know how they operate. Uh, so I, so I won't try to make up anything on that. I thought he was amazing. I thought he was an amazing guy. Um, uh, the whole thing about who's getting in the, the, the drug thing, you know, I blame that all on Bud Selig. I mean, I just, I, he, it was obvious what was going on. 
And, and I remember one time he used to always show up at spring training at all the different camps. And he, he came in one time in Peoria and it happened to be one of the days I was there. And, and I asked him about performance enhancing and he just, he just said, no, we don't have that. That's not a problem for us. Wow. And I just looked at him and, you know, he's the guy who stole the pilots for one thing. He shows up and he, and, and it's Arizona in spring and it's about 85 degrees and he's he's the commissioner of baseball and he's wearing this funky plaid flannel shirt <laughs> I, 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 i'm not big on the style over substance or anything but come yeah. on you, you need to be taken seriously and he looked me straight in the eye and his answer was well we don't have a problem with that and i just started laughing <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I started laughing at him. Te technically, he's accurate. He did not have a problem with it. He didn't have a problem with it. But that, you know, look what that had done. If they had identified and corrected, if they'd had a strong hand there, um, I think maybe he was thinking the game's better with drugs. There's a lot of people who think I like baseball better when they were on steroids. I think if he would have acted, maybe that was part of his thinking. Could could he have been that naive? I I don't no. think so. Maybe, but I don't think so. Yeah. And I think that that has really stolen a great deal of the past. Uh, I think in the history of baseball. Well said. Well said. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, I don't I don't know, Dave. Like some of the, if some of the players who people liked were linked to steroids, what would that have done? To baseball as far as damage because most everybody that we that we think has done it or has admitted to doing it not necessarily people that you know the average fan likes nobody likes Barry bonds nobody likes you know jose uh, canseco jose canseco exactly <laughs> yeah but what if it's one of the guys we like and, and maybe maybe it's the people who are tempted to, to try it and exploit it who just people have that kind of character that isn't going to be likable i wouldn't i wouldn't think that's the truth because I think really with steroids, I understand the lure, especially if everybody else is doing. Yeah. You know, you look at the you look at the bike racers. You couldn't compete if you weren't getting the blood doping. Yeah. Um, for a while now, the guys who are really good, Bonds, he was good already. You know, come on, Clemens. What is what is you know? Why do you need that? If it's the guys who are on that triple a to major league roster threshold who were so tempted to do it because that that jump right there is is life-changing you know and you get on the pills and you can all of a sudden make that jump then then your life changes and i i think baseball botched it and i mean and a lot of sports put their head in the sand but but it really affected baseball yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, we have some Seahawks questions for you. Oh, uh, I've got answers. Perfect, because... <laughs> or opinions. Uh, I've spent almost 40 years covering. Well, some of these questions are about your opinions. So uh, <laughs> one, of them, one of them is, uh, uh, you, you wrote about the... Oh, I forget what it was called. It, it was 
quarterback tears. <laughs> it was a report on quarterback <laughs> tears. T-E-A-R-S. T-E-A-R-S, yes, exactly. Because you were comparing it like, okay, everybody out there probably has their T-I-E-R-S. Yeah, uh, Mike Zando, my good friend, does the quarterback <laughs> tears, and it's fascinating reading. He gets a million hits, and he does a great job with it. So I thought I would kind of riff on that a little that's bit. That's awesome. But you're asking Seahawks fans to wipe their tears that Geno Smith and Drew Locke was an inevitability. Yeah. It, it, uh, kind of that's it seems like it's part of the plan to me because we've seen this blueprint before. 2011, they're trying to build a team. Uh, Schneider, Carroll, they're trying to build, they, they get some good defensive guys, 210. 211, they get some more good defensive guys. They get Earl Thomas, get Russell Okung. They're building the line. They're building the defense. They bring in Marshawn. Okay, what are they missing? Well, they're missing a quarterback. There wasn't one in that draft. And so they brought in Matt Flynn as a guy. He was really fairly unproven. He'd only had really one good game as a backup with the Packers. Spent some money, but it was mostly contract money, paper money that they could get out of. And, and they found the guy they were looking for. They found Russell Wilson next year. Okay. What they had was Tavares Wilson or Tavares Jackson and uh, Charlie Whitehurst in 2011. Okay. They're building the team around the other guys. They didn't want to spend a lot of money on a quarterback that wasn't the guy to go further with him. So Tavares Jackson comes in. He starts 14 games for him. They win seven of them. Charlie Whitehurst was just a nightmare, but uh, <laughs> yep. Tavares was tough. And he threw for over 3,000 yards. And well, so, so they won seven games with Tavares Jackson. The next year they get Russell and everything is in place. And they've got a young quarterback on a rookie salary. Okay, do you want to go out and, you know, talk about Baker Mayfield and go get these guys? That's not why spend money on that now. Get these guys. And I, I call I think I, I I lump Locke and Smith together, the two of them, the combination, what they can cobble together. And I call this entity Locksmith. And he's <laughs> going to be this is what they, he's got the key to how this season is gonna to come together. And he doesn't have to be Russell Wilson, but if he's Tavares Jackson, if those two can have a Tavares Jackson type season to get him seven wins, to go 500, um, they're gonna be in great shape. They've got the big draft equity built up. They'll have cap money to really go after what is supposed to be a, a, a quarterback rich draft. And so I think we've seen this before. What they need out of them, whether it's whether it's Gino, I think a lot of the players like Gino, and I think the coaches like Locke's ability. And I think Pete sees this as a as a chance to maybe uh you know get his hands on Locke and really kind of work his uh his Yoda magic with him and 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 give him the confidence he needs. And and he has physical skills. I haven't watched him much yet, but if they can get a guy who can manage the game to not cost them losses, 
it's it's going to be a big victory, and then they draft the the answer next year. And that's that's how I, that's why I didn't think you know you, you're looking at Locke and 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 Smith, and I saw one recent uh, ranking of the of quarterbacks coming into the season, and they were the bottom two in the NFL, thirty one and thirty two or whatever that whatever the numbers were. It's not impressive, and they're going and and they just are not long term answers. It doesn't appear, but I, hope, I, I, I think it's good. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe they will. I, I hope we have a Lock Smith, and we don't have like a uh, Drew Gino, which would end up being Drew. <laughs> and just yeah. get this all flushed down the toilet. Like, um, you know what? It would be it would be tough. But again, even if it's a four win, five win, if you can see that left tackle coming in and really being a, a, a star of the future. I'm excited to see the Michigan state running back. And I Ken watched Walker him the third. Yeah. Oh man. I watched him against, I think it was Michigan. Maybe it was Notre. No, it was against Michigan ran for five touchdowns. And to me, he looked like Kurt Warner. I mean, he, he is really, really, really good. And it's, you know, the, the, mode of thinking about in the in the front offices in the nfl now as the running backs just aren't worth the high draft pick i think this guy was certainly worth where they where they took him and i, I think running backs are downgraded a terrible thing you see chris carson you know the guy who really plays all out uh all of a sudden is is done and it's it's Did- sad to say it happens it happens way too often dave you actually beat me to my question about yeah. that. <laughs> um hey chris carson uh, retired this week uh, and I actually posited that he reminds me of Kurt Warner, not his running style or anything like that, but as his career that seems gone far too soon. Uh, whereas, yeah, I think I think Kurt had the knee that really knocked him down, but he was seven, eight, probably nine years total. But uh, he came back after the knee and made Pro Bowl twice mm-hmm. and comeback Player of the Year and still had a thousand yard season. Um, and he said, swears he was he got back to to 100 oh. percent. Uh, they did have a different style. He was uh, Kurt was more elusive and more of a more of a scat back. And I was, and I was thinking Chris Chris, War- Chris Warren is like what Chris, Chris Warren was a big dude. Chris Carson kind of ran like him though, didn't he? He he did. Well, Chris Warren ran uh, a little more upright, kind of an Eric Dickerson style, uh, and, and 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 tough guy too, tough. Tough dude, big, strong, fast. Uh, they didn't always have a great line, uh, you know, in many of those years that we watched. Yeah. <laughs> so got a question for you about got a question for you about Pete Carroll's uh offense. It yeah. seems like we go through a lot of running backs. And with Chris Carson retiring, is there something about this offense that kind of just grinds through? It's something about the position. Okay. It's a tough. It's tough. It's, oh my God. Uh, you know, if you sit down like in, in scrimmages or you're on the sidelines or on the sidelines at games um, where you don't have the crowd noise and you can listen and you hear the contact, it's like a, um, a, a freeway collision. Yeah. It really is a pile up on I-5. And they take a hit. Now the guys you said the guys were blocking, yeah, they you know they hit every play. The running back has eleven people trying to hit them, and many times there's four and five who do, and 
And, you know, we, we love the backs and certainly Pete does who go for every yard, who don't step out of bounds, who, who avoid contact. I think, I think the legacy of Sean Alexander was hit and was hampered to some extent because after oh. his great season, he, he started looking for, for ways out, you know, and, and we don't want to have a running back. But you also don't want them to have, you know, concussions and, and neck injuries and be and be gone, yeah. Too. So it's yep. it, it's a tough, tough thing. And maybe they're not getting paid as well as they deserve. I, I think that's probably a real thing. And fullbacks, forget it. They don't even have them anymore. No. They don't even make them anymore. Right. <laughs> it's a it's a tough it's a tough game for those guys. And uh, I don't think it's Pete's offense. I think Pete's offense. I I've always defended a little bit. I mean, he's had success. You got to have the right, you got to have the right people for it. You, you run the ball late in the game, late in the season, you play defense, you create turnovers, you come over on the plus minus the algebra of Pete's offense pencils out. Okay. You know, and, and okay. If you have, if you have different guys, yeah, then you want to play a different game. And, and what I like about Pete particularly defense he finds guys who have have really unique talents uh, a 6 3 240 pound strong safety cam chancellor yeah you know he 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 was outside the box uh a lot of guys have been like that where they say okay bobby wagner's you know six foot 240 he's a little you know yeah but boy can he run uh <laughs> KJ, uh, you know, you look at look at the six three six four cornerbacks. They find guys that have special talents, and then and then try to find ways to to exploit those. I like I like the theory. Sometimes sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you draft kind of the wrong people. You're reaching for something, and it doesn't and it doesn't work. Uh, but that happens to everybody. That happens across that happens across the league. That's why it's so hard to to be a, a, a division challenger every year. <clears throat> so Absolutely. You wrote, you wrote an article about uh, Abe Lucas. Uh, <laughs> great, great first name, by the way. Love that first name. Uh, now, you you mentioned you you had a pretty glowing review of him. Uh, question for you, the third, uh, what was the third rounder out of Wazoo? Uh, did you just write that to placate uh, Brian the Soul Man Solak up there? Or? I wrote that because, you know, this is here's a, here's a <laughs> funny story. guy. I'll tell you a funny story about a, uh, about a retired sports writer and uh, who used to work for the spokesman review a number of years ago and used to cover uh, a lot of Gonzaga basketball and used to come cover the Seahawks come over and, uh, and then WSU and stuff. Well, last uh, February, that guy gets a call from the sports editor in Spokane said, you know, our columnist is, John Blanchett's great, but he's, he's going to really go into retirement. Uh, we need somebody to cover the Zags um, for uh, in the tournament. Would you do it? Would you come back and do it? You know what? That sounded pretty good. I, I named a figure that I wanted per column, and he said, sure. <laughs> and, and I could do it on my own terms, whatever I wanted to write, uh, how long it could be. And I said, you know what? I think I would enjoy that. And all of a sudden, I was down in Vegas covering his eggs in, in the WAC turn, or WCC tournament and through the NCAAs. And it really felt good. 
to be on deadline again and be on the sideline and start to, uh, you know, I, I can still do this a little bit. And so they said, well, why don't you just be kind of our, our Seattle guy? And when, you know, the Seahawks get going, we'll have you do columns on the games. And, you know, for a guy on a pension, that's kind of nice to get a little check every now and then for some freelance work. So uh, when the rookie minicamp came around, uh, they suggested I do go over and see Abe Lucas. Uh, right tackle, he's, he's big, he's strong, he's got a nice setup, he's got a good punch, he's, he, he can pass, he has all the tools for pass blocking. Question, of course, will he be able to run block and peak scheme? Uh, the thing that I believe it's easier to teach a good pass blocking guy how to run block than it yeah. is a run blocking guy to pass block in the NFL. And it's not like you didn't block for Max Borgie, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, there's something there. Yeah, there's something there's something there. But you know what? You're playing against some of the finest athletes in the world when you're playing tackle in the NFL. You have to be really, really good. He's going to have to learn. I think I think he's got a I think he's got a real chance, and they would love it if they could could have they drafted those two guys high if they could have their you know the the bookend tackles nice. for the next Check generation. It. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's possible. And again, those are two of the pieces that could be fitting into the puzzle before they get the quarterback. From what okay. you saw, does he beat Jeff Curran for that spot? I think it's possible. I don't think it's necessary. You know, whoever, whoever can give him the best job needs to be in there. And, uh, you know, that's he, a rookie is going to have to really improve the preseason being shorter, you know, um, you, you've got a lot to prove in a, in a short time. Uh, and maybe they don't have to, you know, maybe plays get some spot play, um, whatever, whoever, whoever wins it will get it. Okay, I, I got two quick questions for you, but I'm, I'm going to direct the Wazoo question at you first. Okay. Uh, a few years ago, Abraham and I were over at Wazoo covering one of the football games, and we got to go to the press conference after, and Mike, Le we were all in there, long story short, and Mike Leach came in and m mentioned the fact that he, he was looking at John Blanchett as like, well, no, no, let me read the devil. Yeah, 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 pretty much. Yeah. You, you missed the key part is before Mike Leak watched it, walked in. Correct. I was John Blanchett turned to us and said, "This is going to get uncomfortable." Yes, and <laughs> and so Mike Leach comes in and completely ignores Blanchett, even though Blanchett's raising his hand and wants to ask questions, and it, it was kind of entertaining. I mean, did you ever experience that opportunity with Mike Leach, or would you care to share another story? Uh, John, first of all, John Blanchett is one of the best sports columnist in the country. Yeah. I'm just the state of Washington, uh, you know, at a, at a very moderately sized newspaper, which Spokane is, he's been loyal to them 30 years or whatever, far better than a, a paper that size and what they're paying deserves. He was, he's a real talent and, and professional. He had a way of getting under some coaches. Skin. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and because he, you know, he, part of the job is to make your columns fun too. Correct. You know, you got to make it entertaining to read. And, and sometimes when it's not good, you know, I remember, I have to say my personal dealings with Leach, I went over there after he got hired uh, when I was working for the Tacoma paper and I, I went over and 
set up a deal. Can I spend some time with them to do a, you know, a personality piece of column, but uh, a, a little bit of a feature-ish. He gave me a ton of time and he was watching films. Let me sit in with them. And we chatted and, and he was, he was great really. And it was very generous of him. And I would speak positively of him uh, because of that. I would also say the one time that the, the offensive line had trouble and he made them come, he made every one of them come out to the press conference afterward and answer question was humiliating. It was not the way a quality coach treats and develops relationships with his players. Correct. It was like the first year and it was bullying. And I just thought, you know, I've seen, I've seen so many incredible coaches over the years. I've seen some crappy ones. I thought that was really an awful thing to do. And, and, and I just said, okay, I, I can only imagine what goes on in practice or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but that didn't seem like an outlying sort of an act. Um, and, and so that was my, a, a good experience and, and a bad experience with, with Mike Leach. I appreciate you sharing that one, one last quick Seahawk question. Cause I know we need to move on, but uh, you've covered them for a long time. Obviously Steve large and Cortez Kennedy were two of my favorites of all time. Do you have, oh, one, yeah. do you have one story you could share about either of the two um, interaction or Cortez? Or? Yeah. Well, actually I've got a bunch on both, but Cortez <laughs> on their up down. Um, I cried real tears when he died. Yeah. And that's not, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a family member. Wasn't, you know, in contact all the time. I covered him his entire career from the day he was drafted until he retired until right before he died. I talked to him. He would always come up after, you know, if he was, if he was in 10, he'd always go to Seahawks games. He was, he was a Seahawks ambassador for a while. So he would travel with the team for after he was retired. Every time you come up to the game, I'd feel a big hand on my neck. Oh. Hey, Dave, how you doing? You know, <laughs> and he nice. talk and he, he never forgot. He'd ask about family. He was, he was really the, uh, a, a big kid. He had a, he had a child's joy in, for life and he understood how lucky he was. He loved his daughter so much. She was the world to him. And he was, he, he was an example of, of humanity more than anything else. Just a good feeling. You, every time you talk to him, he made you happy. Uh, one night I looked at my phone and I got it. It was a text from, from Cortez. He was at the Hall of Fame with, with Largent. And Walter, I guess when Walter got put in okay. with their gold jackets on, Dave thought you'd like to see this. That's the kind of guy Cortez is. And everybody, everybody who ever knew him will say he's just one of the greatest guys. Um, and, and then there's a the whole thing like Walter has got people calling your friends on a certain day to make sure they're okay because of Cortez, because that's how how Cortez was. And I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, puddling up a little bit right now, you know, just, just, just thinking about that. That's a, that's a kind of, that's a kind of character. That, that, that okay. Then, then I better get, I better change it to, thank you. I better change this. So we have one more Seahawk question that okay. is on a brighter note. Uh, DK Metcalf got signed again today. And yeah. I had to do it. Had to do it. I, that was going to be my question is, is that the had right to call? Do it to be legitimate. 
to, to, to tell everybody on a team, and nobody questions who's the best player on a team right now. You, know, you, could, you could debate, and guys, you know, they've got a lot of pride, but mm. basically everybody knows he he's, is the face of the franchise now. He's the guy that you needed to have, and they have done a pretty good job of doing this year after year. Excuse me, putting the best, giving their money to the best guy. And you've got to do that. And you got to, you had to pay him. He's so young. I don't think he's really close to his potential yet. I, I mean, for all he's done, I think this guy has a bigger ceiling. Wow. Uh, and, and it's going to be coaching. And it's going to be how they treat him, uh, how, how much more they get out of him. He's motivated. I think he's motivated. Uh, that, 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 play, that play in Arizona was... Yeah, just alone. That alone. Tracking down Buda Baker. It was, that was incredible, and 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 it was funny. It was in Arizona. I don't know if you remember the, the, the Marshawn Lynch run that was almost like the Beast Quake, where he scored. I was always impressed that I thought an even better effort was by Ricardo Locke. He threw a downfield block that was maybe like twenty yards downfield, and knocked a guy out of bounds, and he was and ran out of bounds himself. He picked himself up, got back on the field, and made it down to make another block at the goal line. You know, unbelievable, unbe unbelievable effort. I think Metcalf can be, you know, as good as as good as anybody, as good as they get. I hope he gets the right coaching. I hope he gets the right handling. You know, I I, I don't really know his attitude much. You know, I don't know. He seems seems like he wants to win, uh, certainly. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see how much he, he grows. I, I hope Tyler Lockett has a good influence on him, you know, yeah. as well, hard as he's played. Uh, and I, I think he's, I think he's going to be a good guy. You know, you never know when somebody gets big, big money, Yeah. how they're going to, how they're going to, how are they going to respond to that? So one thing you never know in a draft, there's no way you can tell guys who play like crazy to get that contract. And then all of a sudden they've got more money than they've ever seen in their lives. Do they yeah. keep the fire burning? It's a big, it's a big question. I well, think, I think it was great. It was a great thing to do. Glad they did it. Got it out the, of the way. The great, the great news too is Tyler Lockett has three years on his contract, so we'll at least get some years uh, out of it. Mm -hmm. And three years isn't such a, if something horrific happens, like attitude wise or injury wise, it's not going to shut this team yeah. down for a very long time. Yeah. It's and boy, don't you want to watch him play? I want to watch yeah. him. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. All right, uh, we got about fifteen minutes left. I just uh, we want to talk about some of some non-sports things with you. For example, uh, I read I read about a little bit about you, and you wrote a book called uh, Guernica, which talks about the Spanish Civil War. And uh, the, <laughs> is that right? Yeah. So you went from sports to talking about uh, talking about uh, the Basque uh, nation being subjugated. Where did that come from? Okay, I'll tell you. A bunch of us were sitting around in, it was 2005, spring of 2005, the, most of the Seattle or many of the Seattle uh, uh, sports media was sitting in the press box in uh, Peoria. Uh, RTL, Steve Kelly, me, uh, some of the baseball guys. Uh, and one of, them, one of us said, hey, did you read, the, in, did you read this morning about so-and-so? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. What about this? Yeah. And uh, it was all stuff that was online. I said, did anybody read the newspaper today? None of us had gotten a newspaper and read it. We had read, we're newspaper people. <laughs> Everything we read was online. 
<laughs> and so it kind of struck me, what are we going to, if we're not reading it, well, what are we going to do when this business dies? And, and everybody agreed it was, it, we were, we were in a treacherous point. We were giving away our product for nothing Wow. online. And we're, we're telling people, um, you can pay us money and we'll deliver it to your door and maybe you'll get it six, seven, eight. We're not sure. Maybe it's in the bushes, you know, maybe it's get wet by the sprinkler uh, or we'll give it to you for free. It'll be delivered to your computer. You can go to it anytime, night or day and read it. What are they going to do? Well, that's the option we're giving them. And I said, what do we do? You know? And so there was some discussion and one guy, I think Art said, um, you know, maybe we could, you know, you could teach, you could teach journalism. Why are we going to teach people how to get into a business that we're so afraid it's dying? We're going to get out of it. And, and I just, and that night I was thinking, I need to really think about this. And a good friend of mine was, who was a reporter in Spokane named Jess Walter. And if you haven't read his, his fiction, you really should. He's maybe one of the top fiction writers in the country. Okay. Uh, and he had just, he just written a book and, uh, you know, I wonder if Jeff could, Jess can do that. Maybe I can do that too. And uh, I, I was married at the time to a, to a Basque American woman. And many of her family had uh, told me the story about the bombing in Guernica uh, during the Spanish Civil War by the Nazi Condor Legion um, bombers. And it's a terrible tragedy. And this was after 9-11. And I just didn't feel many people look back um, through the, you know, these horrific attacks on civilians to Guernica was kind of at the taproot of that. And uh, it was, it was a real act of an early act of state sponsored um, terrorism. And, and that night I looked on the computer and has anybody made that a backdrop to, to historical fiction? No one had. And I started that night researching and I thought I'm going to try to do this. And I basically, on all my trips, you know, I, I would, when I got in the air, I would sit down and put on my headphones and start working on my laptop on fiction. Instead of going to the bar after the game with the guys, I, I went back to the hotel and, you know, did some more research and some more writing. Uh, on my way back from Olympics in Turin, Italy, I stopped in Spain and did some, did some research and hiking in the Pyrenees and and uh, I, I, I spent my free time for a year, year and a half um, seeing if I could write fiction. Mostly it was curiosity. I, I, I thought I might like to do it if, if, if that was an option. It would be something I could seg into. And uh, everybody's asked me, well, why didn't you write sports? You know, what are you doing with this? Well, that would have felt too much like work. <laughs> this I wanted to be able to toggle back and forth, you know, and... and uh, use some different muscles uh, and, and unbelievably against massive odds. Um, I wrote it, it got, it, I sent it to an agent, she loved it. She said, I'm taking this next week to uh, Germany to the Frankfurt book fair. It sold around the world. Um, I don't know, 20 different languages. Um, and so I went from 
uh, like uh, uh, first week in September 2008 with having a manuscript on my lap to a couple, well, really about a month later, having a manuscript that was sold around the world in 20 different languages. Preposterous, <clears throat> the kind of thing that just can't happen. Um, but it did, and of course it changed my life, uh, but I still didn't want to give up sports writing because I enjoyed it. And so I kept, I kept doing both, but it was, it was really wild to, um, you know, be in Miami on Sunday covering the Seahawks against the Dolphin and then using that, you know, then the next day to fly to Spain for a, 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 a book tour. That's, you know? that's fantastic. You know, it's, it's, uh, Guernica, I believe was Salvador Dali, his famous, uh, one of his famous works. Picasso. Picasso, sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Hemingway also. Uh, yeah, that hack tried. That hack tried covering <laughs> uh, It's really, and, and again, it was so fortunate. I'm very lucky. There's a bit of randomness to it, but I put my heart into it. Awesome. And then uh, and then I had another uh, piece of historical fiction. So uh, four or five years later, Lost History of Stars, published by Algonquin, set in South Africa. Another, uh, you know, another piece. And then and then I did a, uh, I've done, I've done four sports books. Uh, I ghost wrote a, a book for John Nordstrom. I ghost, I collaborated with Kurt Warner and his wife, Anna, on a book oh, cool. uh, called The Warner Boys, which uh, they, they have a set of twins who are now adults who are profoundly affected by autism. Mm, and awesome. the, the story of Kurt and his wife, when basically they disappeared from public view. He had owned a, a car dealership, and then he moved down to Vancouver, and uh, and the two, and never did interviews, never showed up for alumni stuff. He was so busy helping his he and his wife parenting these two kids. And it, oh, wow. at one point, the, when the kids set the house on fire, they were violent, they were destructive. Oh wow! And the the story of how these two parents uh, dedicated their lives to improving the lives of their kids and especially Kurt, who was very high profile, who, uh, you know, was a big, big national star, could have been a broadcaster, could have done just about anything. He forgo forwent, if that's a word, all of those opportunities to be there with his wife. And it's an inspiring story. I would encourage anybody who knows anybody who deals with autistic families to read. It's called the Warner boys. And, and Kurt, I, I like to say he is really a paradigm for what is 21st century masculinity. It's, it's being there to, it's not cutting and running. It's being there to raise those kids to, to taking the night shift with watching the boys. Um, so his wife could get a rest. And it's a, it's it really a, a fine pair of people that I, I just am so inspired by. That's fantastic. And the Warner Boys is on Amazon, so is Kernika. Um, and uh, Matthew Page was looking it up, and he said that Benedict Cumberbatch reviewed your yeah. book and said it's very yeah. cool. There's a video, and it's a little <laughs> disorienting, to tell you the truth. It's great. That's awesome. So when he goes up for when he's up for an Oscar, I'm always pulling for him because he has such fine taste in uh, <laughs> literature. The, uh, um, the thing about that was it, it was picked as a, um, the winner of, of, of a book club, a televised book club, kind of, it's kind of equivalent to the Oprah book club 
mm. in England. It was a Richard and Judy tea time show, and they had summer. They had a summer read, which through eight weeks of the summer they would uh, use one day to to have like a video book club, and they always had a star review one, and they, you know a lot some of them were pretty big time stars. And uh, this Benedict Cumberbatch picked mine to to uh, to review, and they sent him, you know, on a beach someplace with his with his girlfriend or or, or whatever. So um, it it was it was cool, and it meant massive sales. It really added to. So it was a bestseller in England for a number nice. of a number of weeks. And and again, that's that's fun to say. But and, and it's it's pretty weird. I may be answering, you know. Bill and Bothell, you know, on my email, <laughs> didn't like my comment on the uh, uh, on the Mariners or what have you. And then I, then I opened this other thing and it's been in a Cumberbatch blowingly reviewing my book. Uh, it was a little uh, disorienting. I'd take more stock in what Benedict has to say to Bill Bothell. Yeah, you should watch it. It's kind of fun. <laughs> um, I, I have a million questions to ask you, but we are near the end of our time day. But before I ask you my last question, I just want to say I read your articles for 20 year plus years. Oh. I, I never honestly didn't know that you wrote books, but I'm going to go out and buy them. And we're going to encourage all of our followers to go out and buy them as well. So Let me tell you one time I had one woman tell me that, I, and I met her in a store. She was in Starbucks. She was reading my book in federal way. And she was reading my book while she was drinking. And so I walked by and said, Hey, what do you think of that? You know, when you think of the book, oh, I love it. I love it. And she starts to, I didn't tell her who I was. <laughs> and she says, you know, it's funny. This guy writes for the Tacoma News Tribune. And the other night I was reading, I was reading the book in bed. And, and my husband didn't catch up to the newspaper that day. He climbed in bed with the sports page. And we realized that was the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, my last question, I'm just going to do a little rapid fire. If you could give me one. I'm going to give you a few names. If you give me like a one or two, two words to sure. describe them. I'm going to start out with a, we, our former guest. We had on Mike Sando who raved about you had some great stories. Uh, tell me one or two words about Mike Sando. Best friend. Nice. Best friend. You know, how many times can you in your life have somebody, you know, that has your back 100% and you have theirs 100% and over the course of 20, 25 years, like a kid brother to me. That's awesome to hear. Um, Art Teal. I just had lunch with Art a couple of couple of days or maybe last week. Uh, great writer, great writer, fun, fun guy. Uh, somebody is great to have beer with, sit on a on a on a press row with, or as was the case one time. If you know Art, Art's six eight maybe, and I'm six three. And and one time we got, I'm coming back from a Dolphins Seahawks game. We we got put in the bulkhead right next to each other on a on a nonstop flight from Miami to Seattle. And the guy by the window was also six five. And it was a and we all just limped off there. It was a it was a very hum, <laughs> very humbling experience. But Art and I always kid about that. Very immensely talented. That's awesome. Um, former Wazoo coach who you wrote a book about, Jim Walden. If 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 I think the most fun character I've ever covered, fun human being. We did a book together and I laughed just constantly. I love the man. Nice. Uh, last two, let's go with Jason Churchill. Jason, you know what? I've never met Jason Churchill. Oh, okay. We've talked, we've talked, 
you know, uh, radio shows and, and things like that. And I respect what he says. He really loves sport. You can tell he loves sports, but, but I haven't, you know, had any personal contact with him beyond, you know, uh, visiting on online or. Fair, fair enough. I talked to him earlier tonight. He said good things about you. So. Oh, that's kind. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to end it with John Clayton. Oh, that's another one. Um, oh. We, um, we just had his uh, service, a memorial for him over at Seahawks uh, Friday. And there were a lot of tears, a lot of stories. And uh, um, there's nobody, I, 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 I spoke briefly. Uh, he was uh, the, maybe the most self-actualized person I've ever met. He was John Clayton. Nobody else has ever been John Clayton. There wasn't a John Clayton before him. There won't be a John Clayton after him. He knew what he wanted to do, and he made the job for himself. He turned himself into what he wanted it to be. Against some really long odds at a, at a smaller size metro paper, there was, no, there was nothing that stood in his way of becoming who he wanted to be. And we were teammates for years uh, at the News Tribune. His wife was as well, was our agate clerk there. So I knew them from, you know, the start of their relationship, basically. And, and John, John had many sides to him. He had a lot of dimensions. And, and he could be crusty and cranky. And I, and, and I, and I knew that. But nobody, mo nobody had the drive that John did. And he was very good to me. Um, and I think we made a good team because he was all about contracts and, and breaking news. And, and I like talking about the, just, you know, some of the more philosophical parts of the game and the personalities of the people. And I think we, we meshed really well and, and he was gone way too soon. Yes, he was. Thank you for yeah. sharing and, that though. Fantastic. Thank you, Dave Bowling. And uh, thank you, Brian Solak for being on the show and getting Dave Bowling on here. Yes. Thank you. All right, guys, this is the end of our show. Uh, check us out on Seattle Sports Union's website, seattlesportsunion.com, uh, where we'll post this as well. We'll post it on at Seattle Sports U. That's for Twitter. Uh, Dave, do you have any social media you'd like to, you'd care to throw out there or any books? You know, I don't, get a, I, don't get, I don't get on it much. Uh, as I say, I still am doing some work for Spokesman Review. I'd love people to, uh, um, you know, check it out when I put it on Twitter. It's, I don't know, that day bowling or whatever. Uh, my Facebook is day bowling. <laughs> I, I guess. I don't know what it is. Yes. I, I, know. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know what those are. Uh, I've got a web page daybowling.com, but I don't update it. But if you know, if you're curious or want to laugh at the pictures or, or whatever, I, and, and, everybody, but, everybody out there, just go to Amazon and buy his books. I think yes. and, you, and you could go to Amazon and buy the books. And I, and I think especially sports fans around here will be interested in the Warner boys. It's really touching. It'll, it'll, you better have some Kleenex with you. And the other thing, personally, I just had my first grandchild. Congratulations. I don't know. Oh, yes. I have, I don't know why nobody told me how wonderful that is. And it turns out I may have invented grandparenting. Um, mm. I'm, I'm just really, it's just really a, a, a heartwarming uh, full consuming sort of a, sort of an enterprise. And uh, it's like, uh, I just want to tell everybody about Archie, my little, my little grandson. He's well, just... that leads, that leads us to how we usually end the shows with a shout out. 
And it sounds like that would be your shout out. Little, little uh, Archie. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's one year old. If you have, uh, do you have a website? I could send you a picture. Send it to, <laughs> yeah, send it to, uh, send it to Brian Solak. We'll, we'll, yeah. we'll post it. Absolutely. And, if he, and if he's not the cutest little grandchild, then I don't want to hear from all right, and, uh, <laughs> all right, and uh, Brian, do you have a shout out for this week? Yeah, quick shout out. Uh, a little sad, but I want to give a shout out to my buddy, buddy, one of my best friends, Fred. Last month he lost his sister, and then last week he lost his wife. And I just oh, want to, no. yeah, I just want to tell him that they're great people, and we're, we love you, my friend, and we're always here for you. So we're just know that we're here for you, bud, and they're in a better place. So. Yeah. God bless. That's awesome. Yeah, we should have ended with Dave because my shout out is actually for Amanda Nuss, a friend of mine from softball. Her husband uh, passed away as well. Oh, uh, they're they're only in their thirties. Sam. Oh my God. Yeah. Let's talk more about your grandkid. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> and and the great thing I haven't infected him with COVID. That's oh, good. Very good. Just nice. myself. So you know, sitting here isolation. <laughs> well, we hope you recover quickly from that. Dave. Yes. And uh, once again, everybody out there, check out our podcasts, uh, iTunes, Spotify, X, all sorts of great places. And uh, check us out at Seattle Sports U on Twitter. We'll see you guys next time.